following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. Progress. When I was a child, I was taught very carefully the difference between imputed righteousness and imparted righteousness. I was taught that justification was a forensic or legal term, and that my sins were covered because of the righteousness of Jesus and that was called imputed righteousness that it was when Jesus would look at me he would not see me he would see himself I was startled one day as I came home from college to visit with my family and I was telling my dad about this imputed, imparted relationship. And my dad looked at me with great love and great compassion. And he said to me, wait a minute, Ray, let me describe what I hear you saying, and then you tell me if what I'm saying is correct. He said, this is a a new understanding for me. You've learned something that may be valuable. He said, are you telling me that you walk in sin, that you come to Jesus, and Jesus puts his robe of righteousness about you, but he leaves all of the stink below? Are you telling me that you come to Jesus and all of your sin remains but you're covered by his robe that's perfect and white and clean. He said, tell me, Ray, how many times have we come in from working in the fields? 
We're sweaty. We're dirty. We're muddy. We're hot. How many times when you were a little boy did I say, Raymond, go change your clothes and put on your nice clothes because we're going to town and and you don't need to bother to wash. Just put the nice clothes on over the stink. I said, no, Dad, you never told me that. You said, go wash up. He said, so now you're telling me I don't need to wash up anymore. I just need to accept Jesus and he'll dress me in his clothing, pure and clean, but underneath I'm still stinking and dirty. I said, well, when you put it that way, it doesn't make much sense, but but yes, that's what I'm being taught. He said, well, you're being taught a lie. Now, my dad did not understand the fullness of the gospel. He believed that you had to white-knuckle the cleaning up process. He thought it was by willpower. He thought it was by hard work. Well, I thought he was a legalist. And to be honest, I think he did have some very strong legalistic leanings. But I know the strong legalistic leanings of his heart came out of a deep inner cry that he be cleansed. And he never heard the true gospel of Jesus. He didn't know that cleansing came by faith, that regeneration came by faith. He thought it came by hard work. And the church he was in taught that salvation came as a free gift and by works. So he was only reflecting what he'd been taught, except he had that deep inner cry to be cleansed. When dad was dying of a congestive heart, it was a slow and painful death because he had a heart pacemaker. And every time his heart would start, that pacemaker would start it again. Well, what he would do is get on his knees at the bedside. The nurses would come into his hospital room and say, Mr. Greenley, Mr. Greenley, you're supposed to stay in bed. And they would urge him and help him and get him up and get him into bed and covered up and they'd leave and he'd get back on his knees. His heart cried before God was, wash me, make me clean. I don't want any sin in my heart, in my life. Forgive me, wash me. He didn't have assurance in his heart because he didn't know it was by faith. Now, please, I'm going to be very straight with you today. There is a delusion that is over almost the entire American church. And that delusion is going to take the majority of those who call themselves Christians to hell if there is not a dramatic turn and moving of the Holy Spirit in our hearts and in our lives. 
We were warned that at the end of time there would be a great delusion that would deceive even the very elect if that were possible. Well, the very elect, if that were possible, are being deceived today. And that deception has to do with a lie called imputed righteousness. I had a hard time as a child remembering the difference between imparted and imputed. But finally, as an adult, I began to understand, and the way I remembered it was, imparted is a gift that is given to me, and imputed is the computer tallies up all of my sin and then pretends it's not there. But it's all still there. And it's a lie. Now, the place where this is most commonly found in the writings of the Reformed theologians who have promulgated this grand deception on the church and have caused countless millions to go to hell who thought they were going to heaven but were among those who said, Lord, Lord, did we not do these great things? Did we not go and... and bring sinners to you did did we not go and work these miracles did we not and jesus said depart from me you worker of iniquity you sinner a, a, a worker of iniquity is just a man who is sinning against jesus but thinks he's covered so he has no concern about his sin and they were shocked they were surprised if you read the context of that passage in the sermon on the mount jesus is speaking about righteousness he is speaking about real righteousness that has been imparted to them by faith by grace remember everything must be in context you can't take two or three verses out of the scripture and build a theology based on those one or two passages and then twist everything else to fit with your interpretation of that that's a demonic trick and the church has believed the demonic trick and so i'm going to go right to the heart of where this doctrine is taught it is taught by many from chapter four of the book of romans that is ground zero but now let me say in way of introduction nowhere in the scripture is the word used imputed it is simply not in the bible and so we have to examine the concept of imputed righteousness in light of the truth of scripture and frankly what has happened among us as Christians, and I was dreadfully affected by this, is that our salvation vocabulary has been destroyed in the modern church. The salvation language has been loaded with new meanings. You understand, a word is simply a vehicle. It's a, it's a cart. It's a, it's a trailer. It's something we load meanings on. 
And we have to go back and reclaim the meaning of words according to the scriptures and the context of the scriptures and according to the early church. And we must deny those who would who would load those precious salvation words with false meanings. But it's very confusing and it and it's hard to understand the scriptures because we read the scriptures with our modern church vocabulary that does not allow us to understand the true gospel of Jesus Christ. And so countless numbers of you who listen to this broadcast do not have distressed minds about your sin because you think your sin is inconsequential because you are covered by the blood of Jesus. That's what you believe. And so the great delusion has come down upon your mind that you can be in sin and in Jesus. But the word is a locative word, meaning in the Greek, you are in a location. And I've said many times on this broadcast When you see in Scripture, in Christ Jesus, that is a locative formation in the Greek. It is a spatial location in the Greek. So, in Christ Jesus has been corrupted in the modern salvation language to mean that I can be in New York and in Chicago at the same time. It denies the locative of the Greek. Now, some of you may say, but pastor, I'm not a Greek scholar. Well, I've had a lot of Greek, but I have to tell you I'm not a Greek scholar. But I know how to use Strong's Concordance, do you? I know how to use Thayer's Concordance, do you? You can go on the internet and just Google any word and ask for the meaning in the Greek. And it will quickly take you to a place that will explain the exact meaning of that Greek word. There is no excuse in our modern day for not understanding the depths of Scripture. But please, if you are under the delusion of the modern church the sinning Christian, you will sense no need to be distressed and go look up the actual meaning of the Greek words. And I'm praying that this delusion will be broken from your heart and from your mind and that you will begin to see that salvation is only going to be granted to those who have been imparted true righteousness not imputed, false, shell game, righteousness. Those who believe in imputed righteousness believe that God is a trickster. He is a liar. Any man who says, I have imputed righteousness, but I am unrighteous, believes in the shell game of the modern church. If you believe you can walk in rebellion against God and still be saved, you are a fool. And you must understand that you must come to your senses. Look, sin is very serious business to Jesus. It cost him his life on Calvary. 
send his very serious business to the God of heaven because it cost him his son. Sin is very serious business for the Holy Spirit because it is absorbing his time and his energy. All of heaven is dealing with the sin question while the modern church throws off the sin question and is not concerned about it nor interested in it and in fact gets angry at somebody like myself who comes and says you're under a delusion, you have been deceived. But please don't take my word for it. Just go and read the scriptures for what it says. One man, after yesterday's broadcast, sent me a text. He said, after I listened to that broadcast, I was afraid to get out of my car. Wow. Because suddenly he saw the lie of imputed righteousness there is no such beast it's a lie of the satan it is a lie of the devil it is a lie of the serpent and those who preach it may be honestly deceived but they are responsible for their deception because they have believed a lie and not the truth So please, I'm going to dive into deep water. Please follow me. In the fourth chapter of the book of Romans, now Paul, the Apostle Paul, had previously to this fourth chapter shown that the doers of the law will be justified but nevertheless, by works of the law, no flesh will be made righteous. I refer you to Romans, the second chapter, verse 13, part B, and Romans, the third chapter, verse 20. It's very clear that by the law, no one can be made righteous. But what happens in this fourth chapter is that this great apostle moves in a sweeping transition to take up the question of legal or forensic righteousness in order to establish righteousness in Christ that is by faith that makes the believer righteous in, re in a regenerative sense, not by the fiction of imputation as in, the, as in the systems of the sinning Christians. Now, in this fourth chapter, we're going to see that this righteousness moves from law to grace, from Moses to Jesus, from forensic righteousness to infused, to imparted or regenerative righteousness. Now, some of you are going to struggle with what I'm saying. You're going to say, Pastor, I don't understand what you're talking about. Well, you're going to have to study and get serious if you want to understand, but your salvation depends on your understanding. And it's not light stuff. To be saved will require time and prayer. 
I've spent much time praying, Oh, Jesus, send your Holy Spirit to enlighten my mind. I can't break out of the lies. I can't understand what your word is saying. Will you please enlighten my mind? Will you give me understanding of this? And I have wept over this fourth chapter of the book of Romans so many times. I've said, Lord, I just don't get it. I'm slow. Will you enlighten my mind? You're going to have to do the same thing or you won't get it. But oh, I want to tell you something. Once you get it, it can never be stolen from you. It's the most glorious truth in all of creation. It is what Jesus did in moving from the law to grace. Now, let me please just stop for a moment. We've been lied to by men like Max Licato, and I could name many others, Charles Stanley, I could name many who have lied to us about the meaning of the word grace. They have said grace means unmerited favor, and they are right. It is unmerited favor, but what is the unmerited favor? And they go the next step and they say, it is imputed righteousness. It is not imputed righteousness. That is not the gift of unmerited favor. The gift of unmerited favor is the divine energy, the divine power of the blood of Jesus. It is the divine power of the Holy Spirit to transform you into the likeness of Jesus Christ. It is to come in and make you righteous in reality. You see what I mean? These precious words of salvation have been loaded with new meanings that are a lie. And we have to search the scriptures. Go to Titus, the second chapter, and you'll find that grace is that divine favor that influences us, that draws us out of wickedness and out of darkness and and causes us to begin to hate our sin. And then causes us to be infused with real righteousness so that we no longer walk in wickedness or iniquity. I challenge you, read carefully the Sermon on the Mount and you will not find one word in the Sermon on the Mount about imputed righteousness. It's all imparted righteousness. The man who who builds his house on the sand and the man who builds his house on the rock. What's the difference? Well, when the storm came, the man who built his house on the sand, his house came tumbling down. But the man who built his house on the rock, the winds blew, the rain, everything came. He stood solid. Why? because now he'd been made a righteous man. While the man who built his house on the sand, he looks like a Christian. He talks like a Christian. But his house is built on imputed righteousness. His house is built on a lie. I want to show you this. We're going to find in this fourth chapter that divine inspiration 
draws from the experience of Abraham, who was said to be both justified by works and that he believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now that word counted, we often translate that word, counted righteous, as something that it is not. That's the word that is translated imputed. But that's not the meaning of the word. Let me share the meaning of the word. This word counted is translated from a derivative. It occurs 11 times in this fourth chapter. And it should be translated counted, considered, counts. Because the word is a term of precise calculation. It is a word that is used in arithmetic, in math. Its meaning is literally to count to calculate, to enumerate, to take into account. Now, whatever is counted exists in reality. Now, please. Imputed righteousness deals in non-reality. Moses was imparted righteousness not by the law, but by faith. Jesus in John, the eighth chapter, says that, that Abraham looked forward to the day of Jesus when righteousness would be imparted. But even before the law was granted in the life of Abraham, Righteousness was imparted based on faith in the rhema word of God. Moses, I'm sorry, Abraham is in Mesopotamia. And he is told to leave Mesopotamia and go to a place God would show him. And so he went. That was faith. He obeyed in response to the rhema word of God, the God-breathed word. And so, because he responded by faith, he obeyed and went. Now, he got into the land of Canaan, and what was the first thing he did? He started heading toward Egypt. Why did he head toward Egypt? Because there was a famine in the land, and he didn't see how he could survive. He didn't know yet the power of God's word that would keep him. And so he went to Egypt, and there he lied about his wife, and there he collected probably his Egyptian slave that caused so much trouble with Ishmael. And what happened to him? God punished Pharaoh 
and all of his household and stopped them from having children. And by divination, the only way he knew to reach out to the gods, God told him it was Abraham's fault that he'd lied about his wife because Pharaoh had taken the very instrument that God desired to use for the salvation of his people, Sarai. And Pharaoh called Abraham and rebuked him publicly and kicked him out of Egypt and sent him packing back to the promised land. Okay, so now we see there is a picture of Abraham by faith obeying God. And then we see a picture of when he does not obey God, God disciplines him. And all of Abraham's life is the story of God's discipline teaching him to listen and to obey his word until finally the God of heaven says, Now take your son, your only son. Take him to a mount, I'll show you, and offer him there as a burnt offering. And what does Abraham do? He's up early the next morning. He takes Isaac, his beloved son, and they travel for two to three days. He builds an altar to God. He lays his son on that altar and he takes the knife and is ready to slay him. And the Lord says, stop, don't touch the boy. For now I know that you believe me. Now I know you obey me. And because you have obeyed me, all of the promises I have made to you, I will keep. Well, what was God saying to him? Because you have believed my word, you have obeyed me. You have been made righteous by faith. There was simply zero imputed righteousness granted to Abraham. It was not imputed, it was imparted righteousness. Not based on the law, because the law did not exist yet. It was based solely on faith. Now let's look at this fourth chapter very carefully. If you have your Bibles, please open. Chapter 4. What then shall we say? Abraham, our forefather, has gained according to the flesh. Now, if Abraham was justified, and that term should be translated as a forensic or declarative translation, he was declared righteousness. When the context of the passage refers to the pre-law or law time as opposed to the time of Jesus' death on the cross. Righteousness is always spoken of in the declarative sense. 
sins are passed over. They are covered. Now, I'm going to read for you so that you'll understand that that's what the scriptures are saying, but let me explain it before I tell you what the word says. There could be no removal of sin in the old covenant. Uh, Let me quickly turn to a passage of scripture that will say that to you. I don't want you to believe that simply because I've said it. I'm going to read from you for you from chapter 10 of the book of Hebrews. Let's begin with verse 1 because I want you to get the context. I'm reading to you from the New International Version. The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. In other words, declared righteousness is a shadow it is not the reality itself the modern church wants to make declared righteousness into something that it is not in the old testament sin was not tolerated if you deliberately sinned against god you were stoned to death There was no allowance for deliberate sin against God. But in the new covenant, we want to say there's declared righteousness and we can sin and have a good time. We can serve the devil. For this reason, it can never by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year make perfect those who draw near to worship. This is Hebrews 10 verse 2. If it could would they not have stopped being offered? For the worshipers would have been cleansed once and for all and would no longer have felt guilty of their sins. For those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins because it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and burnt offerings you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings you were not pleased. Then I said, Here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, O God. Now first he says, Sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them although the law required them to be made. Then he said, Here I am, I have come to do your will. He sets aside the first to establish the second. What does he set aside? He sets aside the law with its declared righteousness. He sets aside being covered by the blood of bulls and goats. Now, the modern church wants to say that the blood of Jesus is of no more value or power than the blood of bulls and goats. The blood of bulls and goats could not make a man righteous. They could only cover the sin. Notice. And by that will we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. See, the blood of Jesus makes us righteous in reality. There is no imputed righteousness. We don't need imputed righteousness. 
In the Old Testament, they needed to be covered for their sins. How long were they covered for their sins? They were covered until Jesus died on Calvary. And then retroactively, all of the sins of the past were wiped away. King David's sin was forgiven at the cross. He could not be made righteous as under the new covenant. All of the Old Testament sin was forgiven for those who had obeyed the law, for those who had walked by faith, for those who had believed Jesus or the word of the prophets, the words of Moses. But nowhere in the Old Testament was deliberate sin covered so that you could remain in it. Notice, day after day, each priest stands and performs his religious duties again and again. He offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool, because by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Those who are being sanctified. Verse 16, this is the covenant I will make with them. After that time, after what time? After the time of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Says the Lord, I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them in their minds. And then he adds, their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. Why? Because they are all washed away. And they do not continue to walk in their wickedness. Verse 26, if we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, what is the word knowledge? It means the practical understanding of how the gospel works. Many of you have not understood the practical working of the gospel because you have been lied to and you have been comforted in your sin and you have not investigated and laid your life down for Jesus Christ. You still believe you can live in Jesus and in your sin, which is an intellectually impossible position to hold. It is the slick, deceptive words of the devil, of the serpent, who bit Eve, who said, you shall not surely die. But the scriptures say the wages of sin is death. You must believe either the devil's words and keep your imputed righteousness and die. Or you must deal with your sin honestly before a holy God. And you must repent and you must be born from above, you must be crucified with Christ, and you must be made holy and no longer walk in sin.
If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think a man deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified him, and who has insulted the Spirit of grace? It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. you understand it would have been better for you not to listen to this broadcast than to listen to this broadcast and have this lie exposed the lie of imputed righteousness there ain't no such thing it's a lie and if you come to terms with this you're going to have to get very serious with God and you're going to have to be crucified with Jesus. Because you are treating the blood of Jesus as something of no consequence. You are getting from God what you want, but you are still a wicked sinner. Now let's continue in chapter 4, verse 9. Now in this blessedness upon the circumcision, now is this blessedness upon the circumcision or upon the uncircumcision? Now we say that faith was counted to Abraham for righteousness. That is, in reality, look at the reality, please. Don't, don't jump the shark. Don't do it. Understand. Abraham heard the word of God and then he acted by faith on that word and he left Mesopotamia and went to the promised land. By faith, Abraham believed the word of God and offered his son as a sacrifice. And the Lord said, no, don't touch him. And there was a ram caught in the bushes. In other words, this, is, this righteousness does not come to us any way but by faith. It is a free gift of God. And Moses said, on the mountain it will be provided. Have you been to the mountain of sacrifice? Have you been crucified with Christ? How then was it counted? While being in circumcision or in uncircumcision? Not in circumcision, but in un... This is before he was circumcised. This has nothing to do with law. Righteousness does not come to us by law, ever. Law only points out our sin and brings conviction the law is good, it's holy, it's righteous, but it does not bring righteousness to you. 
It says, he even received a sign of circumcision, his confirmation of the righteousness, which was his by means of faith, while an uncircumcision, for him to be the father of all the ones believing, while an uncircumcision, so that the righteousness be counted also to them. Righteousness has been counted to Pastor Ray Greenley. Do I mean that I have imputed righteousness? Absolutely not. What do I mean? I mean that I live under the new covenant, and in the new covenant, righteousness by faith is regenerative. It transforms a man into the likeness of Jesus, Christ in us, the hope of glory. Not death in us, the hope of glory. Death is not our Savior. Jesus is our Savior. And if when you die, you have not entered into Jesus Christ and departed from your sins, you cannot be saved. Death will not save you. Death will condemn you to hell. You're either saved and made righteous now, or you will never be righteous. Verse 12 and and, and the father of circumcision is the one not out of circumcision only, but also the ones walking in the steps of faith of our father Abraham while in uncircumcision. Now the promise to Abraham or to his seed was not by law, but through righteousness by means of faith. Shouldn't it say by righteousness, by means of imputed righteousness or imputed faith? That's what the modern church would have us believe. Verse 14, For if the heirs are out of law, the faith has been made void. But the promise has been destroyed because law works wrath. Now where there is law, there is neither is there transgression. Where there is no law, neither is there transgression. In other words, There's no transgression if you're not walking by the law, but there's death. Death reigned from Adam. So ignorance, not knowing that you are bound to hell because you claim imputed righteousness is not going to save you. The only thing that will save you is true righteousness by faith. And that has to be imparted righteousness, regenerative righteousness. This is the teaching of all of the early church fathers. This is the orthodox position of the Christian church. It was the teaching of some early church heretics. It was the teaching of the early Catholic Church that totally turned the gospel of Jesus Christ into a lie. It was Arminius who finally began to see the truth of righteousness. It was not Wesley. I'm sorry, it was not Luther, and it was not Calvin. It was, it was John Wesley and Charles Wesley 
who began to teach purity of heart, who began to teach that love was perfection, not legalism. Love was perfection. Walking holy in love with Jesus, being filled with him, This morning, when I had a a late breakfast and early lunch, I sat beside an attorney, and he was speaking to a friend of his, and I couldn't help but overhear their conversation because they were so close to me. And he was saying how broken his heart was as he incorporated a Methodist church who was looking now at the possibility of a schism in the Methodist denomination because the Methodist church has appointed a homosexual bishop in the West. And the conference is caterwauling. The conference is unwilling, the general conference of the Methodist church, the United Methodist Church, is unwilling to come and toe the mark of righteousness. He was brokenhearted. He said, we have left the teachings of John Wesley. We have become worldly. I praise God for this man's understanding and for the sadness of his heart. In this fourth chapter, it says, because the law works wrath... Now where there is no law, neither is there transgression. Because of this, righteousness is by the means of faith, so that it is according to grace, to the end, that the promise be sure to all the seed, not to the seed out of law only, but also to the seed out of the faith of Abraham. In other words, not only of the Jewish people, but of the Gentiles, who is the father. Abraham is the father of us all. Just as it stands written, I have made you a father of many nations before God whom he believed, the one making dead men alive and calling the things that are not as though as being. Oh, I want God to call you as dead men in sin into the life of Jesus Christ, into true righteousness, and throw this lie out. A dear brother, after he listened to the broadcast yesterday, he said, My pastor, what you're saying is so radical. We can't comprehend it. It's beyond our understanding. We believed the lie for so long. Do you understand, pastor, that if America ever gets a hold of this, there will be such a revival of godliness in this nation. It'll totally change every structure of our society. I said, yes, that's why I'm preaching. That's why I'm laying everything on the line. Well, we don't have time left. And I'm not going to be able to continue this tomorrow. I'll pick it up next Monday. Tomorrow I'm going to be doing a special interview with a guest that was scheduled a long time ago. But please, may I pray with you? Lord, I ask that by the power of your Spirit and the power of your blood, 
you would break this lie that has held America captive now for many years. The lie that we can be in our sin and be in Jesus. The lie of imputed righteousness. Lord, would you break this lie and free your people and call them out of the darkness into the light and glory of walking by faith in your precious righteousness to be filled with you, Jesus. Lord, only your Spirit can bring this change and uncover this demonic lie that has become the delusion of the American church. And Lord, we've pumped this lie into Africa and Asia. We've pumped this lie into Europe. Lord, everywhere we've gone, we have been a wicked people. Lord, would you change this? before your judgment falls on America and burns us, before our cities are attacked with nuclear weapons. Lord, save us. I pray in your holy name. Amen. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm I'm Ray Greenlee. I pastor the National Prayer Chapel in Woodbridge, Virginia. Please come visit us. You can visit us at the All Saints Anglican Church. We rent from them. They're a wonderful family church, and they've been very kind to us. We rent from this All Saints Anglican Church. It's located in Woodbridge, Virginia. Let me give you the address, 14851 Gideon Drive, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22192. I'd love to hear from you. Go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com, and you'll find there our address and how to reach us. We invite you to participate with us in this broadcast in tithes and offerings. God bless you, my brother, my sister. I love you. I'll talk to you soon. Savior, through Jesus.